we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our third mega study that we've done, oh, since last September, um, on the alien disclosure agenda, exposing that deception. And this next one, the next report is entitled, As the Great Deception Nears, the quote, aliens prepare their arrival. Ridley Scott's new movie, Alien Covenant, shows the ETs destroying uh, a militant's arm patch depicting aliens possessing the Ark of the Covenant. I tried to go through and word this as clearly as possible. The way it was written wasn't that clear. Okay. Um, but there's a new movie coming out calling Alien Covenant. So we've got Independence Day Resurgence. Now we've got another one coming out, Alien Covenant. And um, it's this report starts out by saying, just in case there was any doubt that Ridley Scott intends for his new movie, Alien Covenant, to reference a supposed covenant with a god, the first photo from the upcoming Prometheus sequel, which is actually, this is a Prometheus sequel. Okay, now we covered Pr- Prometheus a lot in the past. Going to get into that in a second. Okay, but um, our first look at Alien Covenant reveals the arm patch screenshot of of the arm patch of the people evidently on the space mission okay it's the arm patch from the covenant colonies ship's mission um to the des to the decimated home world of the engineers okay they're going to this home world of the engineers the engineers were supposedly our creators okay um these this alien race that created humanity Featured prominently on the patch of the on the patch, their mission patch is the Ark of the Covenant. According to the legend, the gold-plated acacia wood chest destroyed cities, decimated armies, and made rivers dry up in advance of an Israelite army. So, what does the Ark of the Covenant have to do with Alien Covenant or the future sci-fi plot of Prometheus? The original Prometheus introduced us to the engineers, an alien race who supposedly created humans and later decided to destroy humans. And again, it's this disgusting scene that they have at the very beginning, and I get into this in the teachings I'm going to be going over in a second, where you have this really weird, giant, humanoid-like creature. Basically, he's at the side of this river, from what I can remember, and he, he... I don't know. He takes something into his body that essentially disintegrates his flesh, falls into the river in this decayed state, and then in the river, all of a sudden, it shows this new life form springing to life from his decayed, dead body in the river, which is essentially what created humanity. This is the audacity of Hollywood to try to convince us into something like that. So see, again, there's a lot of derivations and variations of this whole ancient astronaut theory panspermia whatever you want to call it on on how we as humanity actually became known as humanity okay how we were actually created and in prometheus that's how they portray it now my comment they are called engineers okay because they supposedly engineered humanity now my teachings on this and i give you the links for them here end time current event for um, 624.12, part one, Prometheus, the movie Exposed, Prometheus's fire alien gods in Pandora's box of tricks, and then end time current events for 112, part two, where we get into the secrets of the new Prometheus film leaked. 
And um, I get a, a lot into the ancient astronaut lie and the DNA and all that other stuff in these teachings as well. So now, going back to this report, the official description for Alien Covenant sheds a little more light. Ridley Scott returns to the universe he created in Alien. Now remember, Alien was the first movie of all of these. Even though it, and it was made back in, I don't know, what, the late 70s or something? Early 80s? I don't know. Um, Prometheus is actually going back in time way 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 back in time to like before the first alien ever came out um so Ridley scott returns to the universe he created in the original alien with alien covenant the second chapter in a prequel trilogy that began with prometheus as i said it's a little bit confusing but it's as good as i could do and connects directly to scott's 1979 seminal work of science fiction which was the original alien show bound for a remote planet on the far side of the galaxy the crew of the colony ship covenant discovers what they think is an uncharted paradise but it is actually a dark dangerous world with whose sole inhabitant is a synthetic david who is the survivor of the doom prometheus expedition which is i think how the last the the original prometheus ended Okay. Later, Scott later confirmed that the Uncharted Paradise is actually the homeworld of the engineers. It is going to be its own separate thing because they are going to the planet of the engineers and they are going to see what happened there. It was a disaster, Scott said. It seems the engineers made a covenant with the dark death god, science. Uh, science provided them with great power and lots of black goo, which they used to seed life around the galaxy, including Earth. Now, I know the X-Files had a series of shows about this black goo. Um, and it's just interesting that this black goo stuff keeps popping up in a lot of the Hollywood blockbusters. Now, I'm not going to go any further than that. I don't have any material on that right now. But... It is a underlying theme I've seen over and over and over again with this whole alien race commingling and defiling humanity is this black goo stuff. Okay, so anyway, I'm not going to say anything more than that, but it, it is kind of interesting. Unfortunately, while this covenant brought them power, it also led to their doom and after they created the perfect killing machine, the alien xenomorph, which is basically the alien that we see depicted in the original um, alien movie from 1979, uh, it was their perfect killing machine. As, I, as near as I can figure, that's the covenant, the, the covenant of, of alien, that's the covenant of the alien covenant. Like I said, this is very, very not well written, okay, at all. Um, the covenant humanship will be in search of a new world where humanity can build a new paradise away from our own environmental disasters on Earth, which were all created by design. All of the stuff that's going on in the world, the, 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 the New World Order boys are creating all of this. Whether it's Fukushima, whether it's the Gulf oil disaster, whether it's the chemtrails that are, you know, aluminizing the soil and, 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 I mean, just defiling the planet. It's all being done on purpose and then blamed on humanity. And then it goes on to say, but 
but the new planet, but will the t- new planet they're going to turn out to be a false idol? Well, it's overrun with deadly aliens. So that's all it really says. There's not a lot of information other than that on this particular show. But I thought that, you know, looking at this, looking at Independence Day Resurgence, we're all, there's different flavors of this soft disclosure that are being portrayed in all of these different new Hollywood blockbusters and have been portrayed going all the way back, you know, way, 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 way back. You know, so... That's just one other thing. Now, let's go to the next report here. Now, I talked about this in the original study I did back in um, September about the evil giants waking, okay, around the world, and they're finding these things in these burial mounds, and they're getting, literally, there's two clips of different footage of these people that got into these either burial mounds or underground crypts, and and it filmed two of these different giants. One of them was dead. One of them was still alive. Okay. There's a picture right here of one of them, and it's the original one that that they used. Um. And um. Whether you believe it or not, as it was in the days of Noah, <laughs> so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. If you could define one thing, as far as a headline in the days of Noah, it would have been giants in the land, right? Okay. Well. Are we going to see a resurgence of the very thing that Jesus Christ said, you know, about Genesis 6? What was the main thing going on? Really, giants in the world. And they were defiling the world. So, giants have been in hibernation in what they call stasis chambers for thousands of years, um, are being awakened and are being sought out by the elite military forces, according to several independent sources. After being located, awakened, the giants are allegedly being captured and held hostage by powerful global elite groups that do not want the rest of humanity to learn the truth. Now, how much of that is all true, I don't know. I would say that from a mil- military standpoint, that would make a lot of sense. You wouldn't want these things to just get woken up and start walking out and, and, and doing whatever they're going to do. Okay, You'd want to keep this under wraps up until the point when you could maybe use them for your own benefit to the utmost. So that would make sense, that they would want to control something like this. Secret Space Program whistleblower Corey Good, which we've actually played a lot of the video clips of this guy um, in the previous teachings, was among the first to publicly disclose the existence of these stasis chambers that were holding perfectly preserved giants for thousands of years. In August 4th of 2015, the interview on the popular show Cosmic Disclosure Good discussed how he had accessed information on smart glass pads during his covert... These are like their version of a, of how they access information in these advanced space programs. They're called smart glass pads. During his covert service about these sleeping giants and the technology of the stasis chambers that were preserving them. So, Good said, when I was in the program, the secret space program... When I would have time to sit and look at the smart glass pad, there was lots of information that I had access to that I could look at. And one of them was that there were beings that they found underneath the surface of the earth, underneath, usually underneath mountains, burial mounds, Indian burial mounds that were not dead, but they weren't quite alive either. They called them stasis beings. And as it turned out, they had used a technology that had been there long prior from this group they called the Ancient Builder Race. So it didn't put the beans in stasis that a lot of us would think as being frozen, but it just 
It just changed the way that they experienced time. They would probably go to sleep for maybe what they thought to be 20 minutes, and then thousands of years or so would pass by. Now, again, I'm not saying I buy into all of that. I don't, if there's some way that they can create some space-time dilation device, I don't know. You know, it's satanic technology that they're really most likely type, tapping into here, okay? And Satan and a third of his angels were in heaven for a long time, prior to the fall <laughs> so it's not like they're dummies okay so who knows what types of technology that that you know they may have actual access to and i mean all of this reversed alien technology that that we're we're getting in the government i mean all of that is you could throw into the same um, classification regarding this subject now Good described the size of the beings found in the stasis chambers when they were first discovered in the 19th century all over the planet. And to look down in, they saw these very tall beings of very giant humans with reddish beards. These tall, red-headed, red-bearded groups were in Europe and in South and in North America. And apparently at one time they had, very, uh, they had a very large area that they ruled. Good gave examples of stasis, stasis chambers that had been found all around the world. Some were still operating with different modern human groups that had learned to use the technology, while others had been damaged and the beings in the stasis chambers had died as a result. Uh, this video was recorded, and again, I'm not going to play the video because there's no, there's really hardly any sound, but you can click on it if you want to see one of these, or a couple of these being filmed. Okay, I think one's dead and one's not. The video was recorded in 2008, it features an alleged stasis being, not a, not a giant, discovered in the Kurdistan region of Iran. For the videos in the analysis, click here. So I'll give you the link if you want to avail yourself to that. According to Good, I mean, they look legit to me. <laughs> I'm just saying, they look pretty legit. And then we have all of the history of the giants, okay, that we've talked about a lot, that like L.A. Marzulas went through and documented all the history of the Smithsonian, trying to cover this stuff up every chance they get. All of the, I'm literally, I've been reading this book, I haven't read it a lot lately, but it's, it's, it's all in the Smithsonian cover-up, and it's all of the old clippings out of real newspapers from like the late 1800s into the 1900s, before the news was able to be sanitized of all of these giant bones and skeletons that were found in Indian burial grounds, typically across America. And it's hundreds of accounts. And every single time the Smithsonian gets their hands on them, those bones disappear. All evidence disappears because it's an agenda. It's a satanic agenda to keep us in the dark about all of this stuff. This is why the subject's so near and dear to me. I look at who's trying their level best to deceive us and it's the highest levels of government and the smithsonian and the illuminati that are trying to keep christians and humanity in the dark about this exact subject okay so going back to this report it says according to good once located the stasis giants were kept hidden and any that awakened would join others and but not be allowed to interact with the general public i, I don't know why they would act, allow them to interact with others because i don't know that seems kind of risky but according to stephen quayle who has written several books about giants elite u.s military forces have been stationed around the world including trouble spots such as afghanistan to locate these giants quayle goes on and cites elite military personnel who have spoken about battles with the giants i mean they're out there these reports these accounts are out there 
During one of Quayle's radio interviews on Coast to Coast AM, one of his military informants called in and told the audience about an incident in Afghanistan involving a deadly encounter between a 12-foot giant and U.S. Special Forces. The informant, cl the informant claimed that the giant had killed nine members of the elite team sent to capture it, and it took a second team to arrive to finally kill the giant. <clears throat> you have to, it, it basically takes a 50 cal on the head, from what I've been told. 50 caliber, if you're going to battle them physically. Uh, headshot and um that's how you about the only way to do it and then i think well you probably should be headed just like david did you know when he killed goliath quail uses biblical sources to support his analysis of giants and what they mean for humanity in the current era basically he views them as Bibli the biblical nephilim who are the now remember this what this report i'm reading from is not from a biblical source okay so this is what they're saying about Steve Quayle regarding this. Basically, he views them as the biblical Nephilim, who are the offspring of, um, well, the offspring of fallen angels that are hostile to humanity. The, the giants Nephilim, according to Quayle, were predicted to reemerge during the end times and to be restored to power by the corrupt global elite. Yeah, I think this is what we're, we're seeing here, and this is why I'm starting to cover this subject more and more. In his book, Long Walkers, Run, Return of the Nephilim, Quayle provides a fiction-based um, on fiction based on fact version of what the elite have planned. Before history, giants and fallen angels ruled the earth as gods, until mankind revolted in a colossal battle, banishing these bloodthirsty creatures. But now Joshua Kincaid has made an alarming discovery. Some of the giants are still alive, kept in a secret and I think when they say until mankind revolted in a colossal battle, well, you can look at the promised land. Okay, you can look at the giants being wiped out in the flood, but then you can look at the promised land where the Israelites, after they, the second generation, were sent in. Well, the first generation was called to go in, but they, were, they didn't have enough faith to believe they could do it. So then the second generation went in and God told them to basically annihilate everything alive in these cities that had this Nephilim, I believe Nephilim defile DNA and, and giants or hybridizations or whatever. They were told to go do this, root them out, and to kill them. I think that's the the uh, battle they're in reference to there. Anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, some of the giants are still alive, kept in secret underground caverns and suspended in an animation, waiting to be revived. Worse, a secret society operating outside the law is intent on bringing the monsters back to life and restoring the creatures as rulers as the rulers of mankind. So, I've been seeing this over the years from multiple sources. Secular, people like Steve Quayle, other first-hand accounts of these things being discovered in stasis. Okay? Different ways they're in stasis. So, it's just getting more and more and more. Now, let's go ahead and listen to this video here. About 13 minutes of it. Okay, now this is Giant Super Soldiers in the Days of Noah, Steve Quayle, and Timothy, Tim Al Alberino. Steve, in your book, True Legends, you talk about a Smithsonian cover-up whenever giant bones are involved. So I want to ask you the question that everybody always asks. Where are all the giant bones? It's interesting, Tim, because of the bias of the Smithsonian and their 
contempt for out-of-place artifacts. Every time giants were found, it didn't matter if it was on the West Coast, the Arctic, the Antarctic, believe it or not, the East Coast, the Ohio River Mounds, they always have a fabulous cutoff point, meaning once the Smithsonian is notified and those bones are sent to the Smithsonian, they're never heard from again. And there's denials. A good example of that it was a famous Kincaid expedition to the Grand Canyon where they found the Egyptian citadel. Even the Phoenix Gazette carried that story. So, Tim, the cover-up has always been to keep this biblically relevant topic out of the minds of the people so at an appropriate time in the future they can claim whatever they want to claim and they'll claim anything and everything apart from the true biblical origin of giants. So again, and he just reiterated what I've been saying about this cover-up. And it's been a cover-up that, that not only science and the Smithsonian, the New World Order, but it's also been a cover-up within the churches. They don't come out with this information either. And they push that that godly lines of Seth, Daughters of Cain garbage. And, and, and they demonize the Book of Enoch. And all of these things that are being done, and it's, it's almost like on, on a lot of different levels, the, the modern-day, lukewarm, Laodicean church is literally in lockstep with the government's agenda to cover this up as well. It's like they're it's like they're 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 in league together. Steve, even during World War II, there were reports of giants and cannibalism coming out of the Solomon Islands. What was that all about? After World War II, people couldn't reconcile the fact that a lot of servicemen, U.S. servicemen, had been eaten, cannibalized as well as Japanese. And the fascinating investigation I've come up with was the fact that the Solomon Islands are riddled with stories of cannibalistic giants and even living giants to this day. I was contacted by a, a, a man named Marius who was literally going to meet me in California with, uh, let's just say this, irrefutable evidence. But he said to me on the phone, he said, Steve, I'm being followed and I'm not sure I'll even make it there alive. What has to be asked, the question that needs to be asked, and has to be asked. Okay, now, let me say a little more about what he just said, about the Solomon Island Giants. Now, this is something I've been sitting on for a long time. I have, I read, I read the whole book by the guy that he just talked about, Marius Boreon, okay? The guy that he was talking about meeting, I don't know if he had ended up meeting him. It's called Solomon Island Mysteries. Accounts of Giants and UFOs in the Solomon Islands. I mean, this book is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. I have more pages dog-eared here that I want to go through, but it would literally take me to go through all the dog-eared pages. I don't even know how many teachings, you know, um, which it's just so hard for me to get into what they would you would term as almost dedicated teachings you know, any more on just, I mean, this is about as dedicated as I can get, but we're actually talking about different facets of this particular subject. Um, uh, the, this is just one report after another, after another, after another on this subject. The first page I have dog-eared here, um, it is linguistically ironic that the Solomon Island people named their undiscovered to the modern world race of hominids, the giants, as throughout history, including in the Bible and other prominent books. Now, this guy's not a Christian writing this book at all, okay? The same names has been used in other parts of the world to describe these huge, elusive subterranean hominoids. To explain some facts about the giant race existing in the Solomon Islands, I will use the giants of Guadalcanal 
as an example. Uh, the giants of Guadalcanal are named as such by the Guadalcanal people. And from my observations, they seem to be very similar to the Bigfoot, Yeti, and Yowie that can be found in other parts of the world. At this moment in the time, there are hundreds or quite possibly thousands of these giant people. And I use the word people for a reason. Well, he's referring to them as people. They're really not people. Okay, these are, these are, are Nephilim. Okay, um, they have human DNA, but it's, it's commingled with fallen angelic DNA. It's an abomination, just like it was back in Genesis 6. Okay, uh, anyway, of these giant people living inside huge tropical rainforest jungle mountain ranges of the Guadalcanal, as the Guadalcanal people will tell you. Now, you have to understand, you go to Guadalcanal, this isn't something that's debated. This isn't something that's controversial. This is accepted. This is part of their life. This is something that's, that not only have a ton of these people seen with their own eyes, but their ancestors' first-hand accounts. It's in the papers. They've paraded, the one time they paraded one of these giants through, the, one of the ones that wasn't so bloodthirsty, through um, the main Guadalcanal city. He came out of the forest, and, and, they, I mean, and it was in their newspapers. Okay? I mean, if you read this book, it's just, it's mind-blowing, this book. Um, and I'm just reading one page here. Okay, the indigenous Guadalcanal people of the island can support all the claims made within this book about the Guadalcanal giants as they have played a major part in their entire grassroots culture for millennia, right to the present day. And let me tell you, he said of the World War II fighters, our guys, a lot of our guys saw these things too. And a lot of the Japanese saw them too. When we went on Guadalcanal, when, when we actually invaded Guadalcanal, the Japanese were nowhere to be found, which was very unusual because that was one of the highest kill zones when you, when you unloaded and offloaded on an island where they knew you were coming, they were dug in. That was when they had their chance to repel you. Well, Guadalcanal, they did nothing of the kind. Now, I'm not saying we didn't suffer any losses, but that first day we came ashore, and there were rumors or accounts that the Giants had been on a huge killing spree, and the Japanese had actually retreated because of the Giants. And that was why there was no resistance when they went ashore at Guadalcanal. Okay, but a lot of the soldiers, both Japanese and U.S. soldiers, I think more Japanese because they were more dug further back into the forest, died from these giants on Guadalcanal. Okay, but and again, none of that's going to be in the history books. Okay, it's only going to be first-hand accounts, and, and the, I'm sure the soldiers were all told, keep your mouth shut. The world's not ready for this. This is, this is confidential. This is your soldier. You do as you're told. You don't say anything about this. But there are soldiers that have come out. There's on both sides and given these accounts that's how that's how the, the people have known about this apart from being known for building timber-based structures with sheltering sago palm and other leaf the giants have vast cave systems running within most of the mountains of this 200 plus kilometer tropical jungle island vast cave systems all the way under just guadalcanal alone on the solomon islands these giants are everywhere Okay, in these in these cave structures, they're more inland. They're more with the islands, and it's where the people don't live because they don't want to get near these things. But the people all know about them, so this is not a point of debate to the people that live on the Solomon Islands. And you have to understand, 
The Solomon Islands, from what I could gather from this book especially, is, is like, you wouldn't even determine it as a third world country. It's almost like another world. It's like, it's primitive. It is, it is not like <laughs> what we would perceive in any kind of modern day culture. It, it's a different world. I mean, real different. All of these different tribes that that, that that live in the jungle and the mountainous regions, and yeah, they've got some some cities, but but everything is very, very, very archaic and primitive. And things are done very, very, very differently there, and I don't really mean in a good way, from what I could gather. Okay, um, it's almost like you're on another planet. So this information that I'm just reading a little bit is very, very common knowledge to them. It's no big deal. But it's their reality. It's all they've ever known, essentially. So this goes on to say, um, some of the Guadalcanal giants live in an organized lifestyles with social structures. I have come across many Guadalcanal people that believe... Now, this is a guy that went in and actually married. He was one of the one, And the reason he was able to write this book is because he married one of the Guadalcanal women, okay? And as a result, he gained special access to chiefs and, and the tribes of the area uh, because of, of, of his status as, as when you marry one of them, you become like one of them, okay? So the normal white man can't just go over there and have access to all this information. You you have to have, you know, permission and sit down with the tribal chiefdom guys and all of that stuff. And they do things real different over there. Everything's hurry up and wait. Everything is molasses slow. It's they they have torrential downpours like every single day. So trying to even get around the mountains is like an absolute nightmare. Everything's half of the stuff's all broken down. You can't have access to the roads unless I mean it's it's a nightmare logistically speaking. You couldn't ask for a bigger logistical nightmare. And then you have to have favor with the chiefs and you have to basically buy them off. In in and then you still have to have favor though even if you even a guy like this has to has to buy them off. Okay, or have some type of thing to exchange. So it's a nightmare dealing with this stuff. And that's the only reason he was actually able to get in there and obtain this information in this book. You or I just couldn't go over there and, and have access to the same things he's had. And he lived there for years. I mean, I mean, I don't know how many, but a long time. So it says... Um, I have come across many Guadalcanal people that believe they can go from east to west through their cave systems without seeing the light of day. Meaning they could go from one end of this big Guadalcanal island. This is a big, big island, okay? Literally through the cave systems from one side to the other. That's how vast the cave systems are. And many believe that their populations number in the thousands, the giants. The Guadalcanal islanders also believe that there's a huge city of them living inside or underneath the mountains of the island. Mount Tuava, Tutuva, is definitely one of the main city's entrances, and if anyone wished to gain a documentary film evidence of the giants, the closest village to Mount Tutuva, where they are also seen regularly, is a good starting point. 
but that is not required as they are all over the place and are seen on a daily basis somewhere on the island. Actually, I can think of dozens of places on the island apart from Mount Tatuva, which would be a good starting place for gathering documentary photographic evidence of them. This guy had got, he had all of this documentary evidence and it was, they broke into his apartment when he went back to Australia and they stole it all. They got all of it. And I don't even, he's probably dead. I don't know if, if he's alive. I emailed him. Uh, but he, he never responded back. Um, hey, man, let me tell you something. If God told me to go there, I'd go there. I'd go there. But logistically speaking, it's beyond a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, dealing with the indigenous population, dealing with the adverse weather conditions, there is so much stuff. So much demonic stuff going on on this one island that you would make your head spin. This is, the giants are just one aspect of it. There's these reptilian winged creatures that are seen flying around all at night. There are UFOs that are constantly seen coming in and out of the water on different underground lagoons and out in the, uh, out in the ocean. There are all kind of demo other demonic creatures uh, really not even demonic they're physical but they're they're uh, they are demonic in nature that are seen around the island the giants are just one aspect of it and this is common knowledge to them what i'm what i'm talking about today a lot of what i would be talking about wouldn't shock the solomon islanders really any I mean granted they would be in awe of maybe advanced technology but then again they see a lot of advanced technology with the ufos these UFOs will go around and they'll literally come out and fry people. They'll, they'll like incinerate them. It's happened all the time over the years. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, you're dead. Or you get abducted by the giants. That happens. Or they kill you. Or they want to eat you because that's the main thing they really want to do is eat you. I mean, I'm talking insanity it goes on to say um for that matter i know of dozens of places around the solomon islands papua new guinea and vanatu uh that would be the same this isn't just the solomon islands you have to understand there, there are a lot of these islands in the south pacific and, and in that area papua new guinea and all of that and elsewhere in the world you, you can ask virtually anyone from Guadalcanal, and for that matter, the Solomon Islands, if any of their recent ancestors or themselves have past exchanges with these giants. And one finds a very positive response with the tales supporting their existence. Now, are all these people in mass delusion who have nothing to gain, who are basically primitive, they're not trying to sell a book? What, do they all have a hidden agenda? No, it's just common knowledge. It's common knowledge. I know for a fact that upon arriving in the Solomon Islands, one can ask the first person they see as to whether the giants can be found there and they will start pointing in every direction. <laughs> this is common knowledge. And these are living giants. These aren't the ones in the ground. That are even in stasis, or or the bones of the giants. Now, granted, yeah, there's there's burial places of giants on the island, yeah. But they got them all there, man. I don't think there's any in stasis there. I doubt, but who knows? 
or they quick or, or or any person you met there would quickly steer you onto someone who would tell you all about them. To my understanding, there are three different species of giants on the island. The larger and more commonly seen one are over 10 feet tall. But I have come across numerous islander accounts with evidence that supports that they do grow much taller than that. These giants have long black, brown, or reddish hair or a mixture. And when they want to have a good look at you, they pull it aside from their face with one hand. They have a protruding double eyebrow, red bulging eyeballs, a flat nose, wide gaped mouth, and an unmistakable odor. With, which the coastal people would use once again as a sign of their presence depending on the wind. Because they can wind you. In other words, you can smell these things coming if, if you have the wind at your back. From a very large hairy type, they rage down in size. They reduce, they reduce amounts of body hair. The smaller version, along, um, although the bigger than a normal human being, is like a wild man living in the jungle. So there's a smaller version um, as well, but they're bigger than a normal human being. But they're like a wild man living in the jungle. Now, this is more, this is, these are the ones that are more... Uh, they have more human genetics... They're more crossbred. They're further away from the fallen angel that originally mated with the human that created the 20-footers. Okay? The more, in other words, the more you crossbreed down, the, the more you're going to, um, the smaller they're going to get. He met one. He actually went, and the, the account is in the book that he met this one, I think near the end of his um, time there, and he described the whole account. And this one, now granted, remember, this was one of the more crossbred ones. It wasn't as, it was. It would be like more one of the, oh, I don't know how big he was. If he was seven feet, maybe. He had unbelievable ravenous appetite. But he was married to one of the islanders, and they had kids. Well, they were obviously able to have kids in the Bible. Genesis 6. But the further you got away from the cross, the, from the original fallen angel that mated, the smaller they're going to become. But he met one of them, this one. And it was very, very similar in that description, except it just wasn't as big as like the ten footers. He gives the whole account in the book. I don't know exactly. I mean, I got so many pages dog-eared in this thing that I've wanted to go over in a teaching for so long. But it's just, this would be a really big teaching. But, it, I mean, isn't this, this is amazing. But see, in light of what we're talking about here, it's like, wow, you know what? <laughs> uh, this is becoming more and more and more plausible and believable by the day. Heli was preparing us for this. All of the, the discoveries that were coming out, now we've got literal people filming these giants in stasis. We've got all these first-hand accounts of our military engaging them in battle now. I mean, it's just, okay, is this all being made up? I don't think so. The smaller version, although bigger than the normal human being, is like a wild man living in the jungle. This is the way the Guadalcanal people describe them. I know it's weird, but it's very real. If you only realized who is talking to you now, you'd pay attention. Inherently with the indigenous Solomon Islanders, when they see these smaller, giant, half-human people, they make efforts to kill them. Though it's really more complex than that. Meaning it's, it's also a form of redemption of past wrongs. Because why? Because the giants do so much evil. 
These smaller versions are lower down in the overall giant social order, living predominantly outside their cave systems in the jungle. Although all three types are found on the island's, uh, the island's jungle, while we're on the subject, there are many recent newspaper and radio report sightings, even recently, of these hairy, large hairy type giants in Papua New Guinea. One of the better known reports was a front page item in the PNG's, Papua New Guinea's main paper, published in Port Mosby in 2002. Now see, here's where the rubber really starts meeting the road to me. When you have their mainstream news media, okay, where you've got newspaper and radio report sightings of these giant large hairy type creatures in Papua New Guinea, same has happened in the Solomon Islands, in, 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 in the islands of the region. It just never makes it to us, this type of information. To them, it's common knowledge. But to us, we're kept, we're kept in a media blackout regarding this type of stuff. A, a, does, a dozen odd policemen were sent to the western Sepik province to sort out the ongoing dispute between two tribes in the area. One day, while these negotiations were going on, and with hundreds gathered in an open bush neutral zone a group of over 20 15 foot tall black hairy type giants casually strolled past the gathering a short distance away they were seen in mass in other words everyone at the gathering witnessed this group it was later reported by the papua new guinea main newspaper and on the radio news at port mosby Moresby. it was common knowledge a dozen odd policemen were there with two whole tribes in a negotiation. And you have 15 of these devils walk by in the sight of all, all of them. In, in Papua New Guinea, the giants are known as Tambaran. And similarly, in the Solomon Islands, the indigenous people of Papua New Guinea have re revered their Tamblins for centuries and to this day. They worship them as gods, some of them. Having spent my childhood there, I should know. Noteworthy also is the news reporting from the jungles of Papua New Guinea is scarce due to the remoteness and lack of communication compared to the Solomon Islands. Papua New Guinea is a very big island, meaning that the island and trap giants of uh, Malinzia are more often easily seen in the smaller Solomon Islands because Papua New Guinea is a lot bigger. So they're able. there's a lot more places they can hide. Whereas in the Solomon Islands, it's smaller so they're seen more often, okay? Because there's not as many places for them to hide. And therefore, they're more easily reported to someone who might be interested. Although because of the existence of the giants being common knowledge to all, they are, when they're encountered, it can just be a case of, oh, here goes another one again. Because they're not all... The giants have learned on these islands, for the most part, that if they come out and just eat all the humans... That's bad for business. In other words, especially now as we as the human race is increasing in numbers, maybe Satan gave them a memo, I don't know. But they have learned over the years that, okay, at one time they were just bloodthirsty, eating everybody. Now, not saying they won't eat you, okay? I'm not saying they won't kill you. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying they're not pure evil. But they have learned for their own survival that it is not advantageous to always come out and just eat all the white or all the indigenous population. It's bad for business. Okay? In other words, they know they're going to probably be hunted. 
they're going to be demon. They're not going to have as much free reign. They never know where they're going to when they might get a spear in their back or whatever. So it's a little different relationship they've got with these things on this island now, okay? Uh, and I think a lot of it's due to just the population increasing and that that type of stuff. Um, let's go further. I know for a fact that the Vanatu people have had somewhat of a similar history with their giant race as the Solomon Islanders and the Papua New Guinea, but to a far lesser extent. As those who follow up on my research will find out, I must point out that the Solomon Islanders and I suppose the Papua New Guinea to a lesser degree and the Vanatu people lack the understanding that the giant race living among them is a major scientific discovery to the rest of the modern world. Whether by design or not, it is appropriate that the Solomon Islands national logo is the place that time forgot that is their national logo guadalcanal is rich in gold a fact that the europeans discovered centuries ago 30 years ago different gold mining companies started negotiating with their traditional landowners with memora with memorandums of understanding in order to capitalize on this gold a, su a succession of failed attempts followed until recent years when, although alleged bribery within the Solomon Islands government, it, they're, they're as corrupt as you could get, these people, as well. They're, they're, they're not a good bunch of people, okay? From what I could gather reading this, these seem like the most corrupt, lazy people you could just about encounter, okay? I'm sorry, but they are, <laughs> there's something special, man. You read this book and it's like, oh man, I'm so glad I don't live there. I mean, it, it, it is not a good scenario. Which I also think allows wickedness to more thrive in a particular area. If you have just a kind of a wicked indigenous race living there, you know, we're not talking there's any real presence of Christianity there. There's, there's no real prayer against this type of stuff going on. There's pagan rituals and stuff like that, but that's not going to prevent anything. Well, that's what you got there. Um, I'm just since I started this, I'm gonna read a couple more pages, and just so you have an idea of, of that, there's other parts of the world where this is just beyond common knowledge. This wasn't part of my study. This is a study I'd like to do, okay? But this would be a big study because this is not a little book, okay? This book is, oh man, over 300 pages, um, and it's just. It's just all like this, what I'm reading you. I got so much of it's dog-eared, I, I, you know, I'm just starting at the first places. Anyway, let me go back to this. Um, it says, they were memorandums of understanding in order to capitalize on this gold. A succession of failed attempts followed until recent years when, through alleged bribery within the Solomon Islands government, Ross Mining broke through with a 3% deal to the indigenous people. In 1998, a gold ridge where the mine was being built at Gold Ridge, where the mine was being built, they got going with their bigger types of mining bulldozers, clearing the area. Now remember, this is this is an area, this is a back in the jungles where this gold is, okay? And there's specific parts of the island where the giants inhabit that you don't go, because it's their territory. They're very territorial, okay? The mine, the mine borders the giants' territory, and it would appear that they are very territorial. On one occasion, one of these huge bulldozers broke down. Now, this isn't your garden variety bulldozer, okay? This is one of these gigantic, huge um, land-clearing ones. I don't know if you've ever seen these things, but they're gigantic. 
but the, on this occasion, the bulldozer broke down, with one of the pins on the blade attachment rendered useless. As, of, as it was late in the afternoon, they decided to drop the blade there and take the bulldozer back to the workshop to do the repairs overnight. To continue on the next day, when they returned the next morning, the blade had disappeared. All the boys became confused. How could such a heavy object simply disappear? Mind you, we're talking about a 10-ton-plus blade. 10 tons plus. That's over 20,000 pounds. Okay? So they started scouting around and in the nearby brush and happened to notice giant footprints. Three to four feet in length. Four feet in length. I mean, just look at a ruler. Times that by four. We're talking corn fed here. You know what I mean? Three to four feet in length, close to the to where the blade had been left. Finally, some hundred odd meters away, on a small nearby hill, one of the boys called out, here it is. From further footprint investigation, they deducted that the giants had not carried it there, but had thrown it. Or it had got there some other way thrown it it's twenty thousand plus pounds you'd have to be one big sucker to throw that thing some hundred odd meters away onto a hill in the dense jungle i mean call me crazy but you know by the way this is still an op this is still in an operative gold mine at Gold Ridge, which from the island's geology reports is compared to the potential of several other areas, has an estimated 20 billion Australian worth of gold still remaining. Now, he's from Australia, so he writes from an Australian perspective. 20 billion in gold in that area. But you know what? They're not mining it. <laughs> because the Giants won't let them. You know, I mean, you know how greedy people are. You know how greedy these corporations are. There are resources on the Solomon Islands alone that I read about in this book that is, that is it's, it's mind-blowing, the amount of natural resources they've got there. Not only gold, but all kind of precious stones and I think oil and all kind of stuff. They're almost, they're, 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 as far as the writing of this book, they were pretty much untouched. Because they're too afraid of these things. Or maybe the higher-ups in global government are saying, no, 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 we don't want to throw a lot of light on this subject. We don't, lot, we, don't, we don't want a lot of witnesses about this, coming back to their indigenous countries and telling these tales. So I think there's been a, it's kind of a media blackout and also a, from a business standpoint, blackout. They, they have not allowed a lot of companies to go and exploit these resources, at least at the writing of this book. I don't know what it's like now. Some years ago, I once worked as a helicopter pilot engineer in Australia. I was asked to work for a boss helicopter pilot of an American fishing fleet that had helicopters to look after their spare parts. The job lasted six weeks, and I was handsomely paid for my efforts. The office I 
I took was just opposite of the old Guadalcanal Provincial Headquarters at lunchtimes. I would sometimes go across the road and have a few beers with the Guadalcanal Premier in Victor. This is how accessible their... This is the Guadalcanal Premier. You could just go and have a beer with them anytime you wanted. You know, it's not like Obama here where you can't, you know, get within, you know, a thousand yards of the guy. And he would have a beer with the Guadalcanal Premier, the victor, the finance minister. It was during one of these lunchtimes they told me about the giant encounter they had some months prior. Now, <laughs> this is a guy from Australia who married one of their indigenous people. And he would go and have a beer with the Guadalcanal Premier, the victor, and the finance minister. The, the, the highest level political people in their whole country... And they had they wanted to tell him about this giant encounter they had some months prior. Eh. Both the premier, who is now the national minister, and Victor, who is now the Guadalcanal minister again, had decided to go to the Gold Ridge. Now this is the where they the blade of the bulldozer was thrown some hundred plus yards, meters, and is um they went there to survey the area of the proposed gold mine. They took their twin cab Toyota Hilux, um in the mid-afternoon and drove up there. It is quite a drive, and after passing a few villages on the way, they arrived in the mine area. A bulldozer had carved out a road, but as it rains frequently, the road alongside the hill had become slippery, and they slipped off the edge and became bogged. I mean, like I said, it's, it's a logistical nightmare, even for the people that live there. They made a sincere effort to try to get back on the road, but decided to walk back to the last village they had passed to get a bunch of the boys to come help and pull out the utility truck. Obtaining 30-odd men, they walked back as they were all rounding the last corner to where the four-wheel drive was bogged, and they saw the four-wheel drive was back on the road, though, now. With two huge giants standing there, one in front of the vehicle and one behind. Hey, boys, we're, we're here to help you out. Inherently, their first reaction was for them to all run away, screaming in absolute terror. <laughs> Even though they may live there, <laughs> they're, they're scared to death of these things. Okay? Because they know the history. And they're terrifying looking, and they smell really bad. I mean, you know, there's, you know, they're, uh, they're not exactly likable. They told, they told me that when they got up the courage, about a half hour later, they all returned to find the giants had gone, Obviously, I asked how tall they were. They told me that the taller of the two was the one that lifted the front of the vehicle up onto the road. And when they inspected his footprints, each had picked the vehicle up by putting one foot on the road and one near the vehicle. Pointing out the window to a tree, Premier said about that high, which I estimated to be about 15 feet high. So they were, they were 15 footers that helped them get their truck off the road. You know, just, you know, honest day's work for an honest day's pay, you know. Anyway which matched about the size of the three to four feet footprints that they had described. You know, it must be really, ah, it must be really frustrating going to Foot Locker when you're a giant and trying to get fitted if you got a four foot foot. That's kind of a tongue twister, four foot foot. But yeah, wouldn't that kind of, yeah. Because I doubt they have that, you know, size 108 extra wide that you need you know they probably maybe go up to size like 16 extra wide now i need a 108 extra wide wide body shoe <laughs> i mean this is insanity but to them 
This is the, these are the main guys of the country. The ones that you would think would have the most credibility. Granted, they're all corrupt. But they're just telling, what did they have to gain by telling him this? And there are thousands and thousands, these things are seen there every day to this day. And this is just one island on this planet where this is going on. And has been going on for hundreds if not thousands of years. To me, this makes the Bible come alive because the Bible has a lot to say about giants and the book of Enoch. But the Bible, all you need is the Bible, even if you take the book of Enoch out of the picture. And let me finish with this one last story. The Guadalcanal people and many other islanders all know of the story of Mango. Now, I don't mean the plant Mango, a lady named Mango. She passed away in the year 2000. I guess she was like a local celebrity. She had been kidnapped by the Giants 50 years ago. 50 years ago. And spent 25 odd years with them. And everyone had given her up for dead. Until she was found pregnant and hysterically frothing at the mouth. In a garden on the northwestern coast of Guadalcanal. A giant had taken her as wife. And when the men, well, didn't, didn't it say the Bible, in the Bible in Genesis 6, that they took them wives, all that they chose? They took them wives. This wasn't a negotiation process. This was a kidnapping. This was a taking process. Just like the Bible says it was in Genesis 6. And the book of Enoch confirms that as well. These women were taken. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to biblically court you. You know, and we're going to do this the biblical way. No, it was none of that. When the men realized who she was, they they tried to capture her, but her skin was slimy as an eel. Oh, Lord of mercy. They found it difficult to hold her. One of the men had an, an ingenious idea and grabbed some particularly rough leaves, which they used to hold her down and tie her up by the vine. I mean, when these people are found after they've spent time with these things i've heard all kind of accounts of this bigfoot kidnapping people these people are done if they ever find a way to escape they are insane insane these reports are all over the internet too about the sasquatch and all of these other cryptozoological creatures there are hundreds of accounts of these things i think people are more because there's so many coming out, and I've never seen so many as of late, I think more people are stepping forward and saying, you know what, this did happen to me when I was young. You know what, my grandfather did tell me this. The stigma of all of this is starting to, um, it, it's starting to abate. It's starting to abate. People are coming forward now and they're, and they're telling their stories about either being kidnapped or their experience they had on their farm out in the woods when they were young. I'm hearing more and more of the accounts of these. Are they all crazy? Are all these people... What is the church doing about this? How is the church biblically reconciling all of this? It's important. This isn't a stupid little ancillary issue that, that, that doesn't affect our worldview. It does. It does confirm the Bible, though. It, it does confirm the book of Enoch. 
if you look at the hybridization of the races. But the church has totally been ill-equipped to, to deal with any of this. Totally. To them, this would be all like fairy tales. Going back to this, it says, um, understandably, she was mentally unstable for the remainder of her life, but through her pregnancy, she gave birth to what they call a half-caste boy, meaning it was a giant that had breeded with her, so it was a half-caste, it was, it was a, uh, it was half, well, I would say it would depend on the type of giant it was that bred with her, if, 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 um, if it was a if it was a giant that was a direct descendant of a woman breeding with a fallen angel, then it would be a half what you would call a half caste giant, which is what they're saying it was. Then they've got quarter caste giants, which is another which would be he'd have a quarter more humanity, meaning meaning he'd be like one fourth giant and three fourths human genetics. Still don't believe any of them can be saved because Jesus didn't come here to save Nephilim. That's why he had to wipe the whole world out of Genesis 6. He didn't come to save a race of defiled DNA humanoid type creatures. They can't be saved, in other words. I don't believe they can be saved because their DNA has been defiled. You look at Genesis 6, he had to destroy the whole world and start over again because the genetics had been so defiled that's probably the main reason he had to wipe everything out. If you look at that. So, anyway, she gave birth to what they call a half-caste boy, or half-caste giant. The bastard boy lived to the age of five when one of Mango's brothers slaughtered him. Some of my good friends in the Solomons know where he's buried. Mango is just one of the many to whom this type of thing has happened. But you don't have to believe me, just ask any Solomon Islander. This is, this is just so matter-of-fact what i'm reading to you which may sound so incredible more incredible than anything i've ever even gotten into in any of my teachings but to them it's just common knowledge it's just that's their life that's all they've ever known this is why i'm trying to get us to understand there are different perspectives out there of of other races on this planet where it's very very different than ours very different Two of the more similar instances where Guadalcanal women have been taken by the giants can be found in other chapters of this book. So I'm going to stop there. But yeah, there's just that's just four pages I just read out of over a 300-page book. That's one, one in one area on primarily focusing on one island in the Solomon Island chain, which is Guadalcanal. He does talk about other islands, and they all have giants on them too. But he was he primarily... The, the woman that he married, um, uh, that's where they spent the bulk of their time. I think she might have been from one of the other Solomon Islands. But I'm pretty sure that they had their home there, though, on Guadalcanal. I mean, this is some crazy stuff we're talking about here. But nevertheless, very, very common knowledge information in other parts of the world. And we need to be able to biblically reconcile this, this information. So I totally overextended on this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stop here and we will continue with the video that we started uh, in the next, in, in part three. So God bless you and we will see you in part three.